It's Sunday, September 10, 2023. I'm Anthony Davis. Welcome to The Weekend Show, where we take a deep dive into the news of the week. You can support my work and independent journalism at patreon.com slash five minute news. Our guest today is a social media giant, an activist, influencer and podcaster, now infamous as Politics Girl, Lee McGowan. Welcome back to The Weekend Show. Well, thank you for having me back. I love our conversations. I love that introduction, and I worked very hard on that, and it just rolled <laughs> rolled off the tongue. You're like, um, I just want to congratulate myself on what I said. I did a really good job. Thank I you did me. a good job in, <laughs> in, in, in featuring you and your qualities. Thank you. Um, do you know, so, so many people, we should just start with this, so many people say to me, oh, I watch your stuff and it's great, but have you seen Politics Girl? <laughs> She's really great. Aww. So. So, you know, and for that reason, you know, it's such a pleasure to have these conversations with you every now and then. Well, thank um, you. I love the work you do. And I love Five Minute News. And I love The Weekend Show because you always kind of get a deeper dive into what you're doing and what's going on in the week. And I think that's what people want. That's what they get from my show. It's what they get from your show. Because I think people want to be smarter. They want to understand this stuff. And they're not learning it from these talking heads on TV screaming sound bites at them. You know, this is where the real conversations happen, and this is what gets your brain actually engaged. And some depth as well. You know, you need time. And this is what people say to me who come on this show who also go on the news. They go, I don't like going on the news because I get 10 seconds. And, and that is the proof that the news is just doing infotainment and doesn't really care about the kind of meat of the issue. And, and so... Yeah, we, we're open-ended here. I, I would just start, though, by saying that it is important for us, and I think you're a perfect candidate to do this with me, is to talk about the kind of positive aspects of activism and, you know, where we're at. Because America has never been so crazy, and yet, <laughs> and yet it, it seemed to be that during Trump's presidency it couldn't get any worse. But now we have this, we're in a new chapter now, where with his four indictments, possibly five, and we're hearing about a whole bunch of new stuff this week as well, that with, a, with a special grand jury, that we're into a phase that we could never have predicted. So this is like the fallout, but it's actually making things worse because Republicans and MAGA Republicans have become more angry and more vicious and, you know, the, the Nazi rally in Florida the other day that I was seeing pictures of, it's all an, has a knock-on effect. And because Donald Trump is positioning all of this stuff as election interference and, you know, your political enemies are imprisoning you, it, it is so dangerous. And so this new chapter is kind of messier than the last. Well, I mean, everything is messier at its pinnacle, right? I mean, what we're doing is these people who are sort of in their Hail Mary pass for keeping control the way they want it, keeping the country exactly how they want it, who aren't for multicultural, pluralistic democracy, who really do believe that there's a certain group of Americans who deserve all the rights and then everyone else can kind of fall in underneath them. Those people are kind of in their last gasp. And when people are painted into a corner, when they are feeling like they're in danger, that is when it becomes very ugly. And that's when people can become very dangerous. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. I think that's where we're at. We're really at 
you know, if they don't win in this next election and we start putting in more Democrats in the Senate and we start putting in more Democrats in the House and we start realizing now that state legislatures are important and we put people in there in those roles, they're not going to win again. That's the thing. They can't win on their ideas and they can't win on their personality. So they're putting all their chips in with rigging the game, cheating the game, overturning the game. Um, But I think we have to see it as... Uh, obviously a a battle that we are actively engaging in, but something that is really because they really feel that they're in danger and they should because their way of life really is at its end if they can't get control now. It's I've said this before and I kind of maintain that the whole kind of argument and I look at this as a European and you're a Canadian looking at America. So we do have a kind of slightly different perspective to Americans who are institutionalized into this political system. And that is that so much of these arguments are pointless. They serve nobody. It's like it's just tribalism. But in terms of actually living in a country that is successful and people being part of a system and benefiting from, you know, putting in and getting back out and having decent roads and decent schools... You know, this this is something that we all have in common, and yet the division prevents anybody from benefiting. Yeah. I mean, I think that we have to remember that there's lots of democracies on Earth, right? Like, we shouldn't be so arrogant in America to think we're the only ones. I mean, like you just said, I'm from Canada, you're from the UK. Those are three democratic countries represented in this one podcast, right? So the people should understand that the United States has actually been falling on the Democratic Index for years. And the Democratic Index is the annual report that tracks and measures the state of democracy in about 167 countries. And America has been downgraded from a full democracy to a flawed one since 2016. So this isn't new, but this is new since the Donald Trump years, right? The index kind of looks at about 60 test points and the biggest contributors to America falling down on the score was our intolerance to COVID-19 restrictions, um, the loss of trust in the American government, the gridlock in Congress, voter suppression tactics. And now we're probably dropped even lower because we had an actual attempted coup, basically. So um, it's this kind of increased polarization between our two major parties that we can't think that we're not sort of dwindling down on the democratic ladder. You know, if you look at the 10 most democratic nations in the world, we're not even on the list, right? Not even on the list. Um, But countries like Norway and Iceland and Sweden and New Zealand and Canada, those countries, no matter how democratic they are, they can't fight the growing authoritarianism that's going on around the world without America playing a leading role, right? Like we just have to look at what's happening in Ukraine. I don't know. Like, Russia just decided that they wanted Ukraine, like some sort of like toxic ex-husband, like you can't live without me. I'm coming back to get you. You're going to be part of me again. And without America leading the charge, NATO wouldn't have shored itself up enough to help Ukraine fight back. Because I think none of us want to live in a world in which strong countries can just walk into their neighbors and take it over just because, right? So America's wealth and its military and its industry and its influence it still make it the most powerful, powerful democratic nation in the world, despite our flawed reputation, right? We've stood against autocracy. We've stood against fascism. We've stood against communism, all these destructive forms of government since the beginning of America's history. But we need to be honest. 
that without America opposing the rise of these authoritarian forces around the world, or even the authoritarian forces here at home, autocracy, it'll be unstoppable, right? Like, there's no reason to think that democracy is just going to hold itself together. It just won't, right? Like, without America opposing it, or if America decides to join and be an autocratic nation itself, we're in a lot of trouble. And God forbid, you know, if Donald Trump or Tucker Carlson or Mike Pompeo or Mike Flynn or Steve Bannon get what they want, if the Republican Party gets what it wants, the world order as we know it now would end. So we need to be really serious about what we're addressing right now. We need to be really serious about where we're at as a country and we need to actively fight against it. Do you think that average Republican voters realize what's at stake? Because, you know, they're so caught up now with winning and not losing. It's like it's just become like a it's like a race, right? And it's a two horse race by nature of the, the, the system that we have. And this obsession with, you know, the the way I see it, you know, one group are the goodies and the other group are the baddies. One group are pro-democracy and the other are anti-democracy. But the thing is, if you're a Republican voter, winning at all costs is all that matters. And so losing your, or having an authoritarian leadership and losing your freedom is kind of irrelevant because the win is more important. And... This is why there's such a there's such a debate going on is because Democrats are like, can you not see that this is not good for America? But it's so short termist, this Republican view of like, we've just got to get a win. And I've spent the last few days reading 900 pages of Project 2025. Oh, my God. Which is what the Heritage Foundation have in place if they were to secure a, a second Donald Trump presidency or whoever might be the candidate. Because it doesn't matter who the candidate is. That's that's the plan. And it is riddled with authoritarian values, which aren't values at all. They're horrific. That will kind of denigrate the whole U.S. experiment. And it's, it's, it's frightening reading. But there's very few of us that are going to read this. You know, oh. it's, it's, it's not a coffee table book. Right. So so do do does the average Republican understand that they're actually voting against their own interests? Of course not. No, of course not. And that's deliberate. Right. We've done that deliberately. The Republicans have done that deliberately. It's why we talk about culture war things all the time instead of policies and what they're doing. You know, like it's it they don't understand because they are not meant to. Their media doesn't tell them that they are told to be upset about everything from M&Ms to Dr. Seuss to you know, whatever the culture war of the day is, they are completely bent out of shape about books, but those aren't their actual problems. Their problems are they can't pay their bills. They don't have medical care. All these things that Democrats are quietly working to fix, actually doing the job of governing, but they've been told that the Democrats are evil. And that is a very fascistic, very authoritarian way to do it, the us and them mentality. If we can separate you into us and them, it's so much easier to control you. And the people that are in charge of these things, they favor total control, right? They want a white evangelical patriarchy with some sort of authoritarian rule. That's what they're saying in that Project 2025. And it's yeah. not even the words that are in Project 2025. It's 
the groups that have written it, the groups that came the together. Consensus the consensus as well. They are all yeah. in agreement. And it's like they think that is normal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it might be normal if you're at a Nazi rally, but the rest of the world has moved on. The rest of the world, those other countries that you describe, the, the Norways and the Icelands, they are doing democracy in a very progressive and modern way. And, and what, I've, what I'm reading in this book is going back to a time where women were not equal, let alone abortion. I mean, they don't even want women to vote going forward. I mean, it, it really is a, a, a terrifying idea that this is their manifesto for change. Well, it's, it's about putting us into a time machine and sending us back to anywhere between the 1950s on the surface to the 1850s on the policy. You know, they, they want to have it before the New Deal, before civil rights, before women's rights, when it was easier to control and you knew who was in charge. You know, these are the leaders um, of these groups that wrote this uh, manifesto, basically, but also the leaders that are running the Republican Party right now. They make it more clear every day they're not interested in democracy for a diverse demographic, right? Mike Flynn is calling for one religion. Marjorie Taylor Greene is about you know, punishing private companies that don't go with the GOP will. Um, they're doing education bills where you can't learn to protest or you can't read certain books or we have to have this specific honest history of U.S. history. But it's really just uh, propaganda history. It's Hitler Youth stuff, right? Um, and yet they say we're voting against indoctrination. We don't want our kids indoctrinated into that woke ideology. Yeah, and yet you, what their alternative is is, is indoctrination. A, is indoctrination. It is mm-hmm. a it is a a Christo fascist indoctrination. It is an extremist version of Christianity. It is it is uh, an exceptional way of life. And this is why they homeschool, because outside of the, the, the public schools they're able to indoctrinate and what they're planning to do, and it's happened to one school, one jurisdiction so far, but there will be more, is that they will want to take control of school boards or do away with school boards. Yeah, I mean, almost every single Republican candidate on the debate stage is talking about getting rid of the Department of Education because yeah. that is made for everyone. It's made for the public. That's why yeah. they want vouchers, so they can take money out of the public system and put it into Christian schools, put it into yeah. um, schools that, that teach what they want the way they want. I mean, this Republican behavior these days, it's not American behavior. It's authoritarian behavior, and it fits right in with the behavior of other autocratic nations around the world, right? It's Look at how the Chinese treat the Uyghurs, right? They are a minority Muslim population in their country. And they have people disappeared. Families get separated. People are sent to re-education camps to be reprogrammed, you know? So we have to think that this whole talk in America of like who's a patriot and who's a real American and, you know, who has rights, this kind of thing. It's if people don't think that that's going to come to our shores, it feels willfully naive because it's already here, you know? And now we're hearing people talk about the Second Amendment solution. We had Mike Huckabee on TV this yeah. week, this past week, talking about if Donald Trump doesn't win the next election, the election after that will be decided with bullets, not ballots. And I'm like, are you kidding me, bro? Like, that is, that's authoritarian behavior. We're going to come yeah. in with guns and get the leader that we want. That should And his daughter shares people. the same view. I know. You know? Yeah. Um, 
just explain to me because I'm I I'm not, I don't have a belief system, but I know you do. <laughs> so so I, I just I just want to look at the kind of Christian aspect of how the religion has been hijacked, right? From just hearing it from from you rather than me, because I think that there is sometimes a misunderstanding from people who think that there's that that, you know, that Christian extremism and and regular moderate Christianity are in some way connected. How has it been hijacked, and 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 how do you feel seeing Christianity hijacked? Well, I will say, as someone who was born and raised in the church, I was Anglican growing up because I'm Canadian. Uh, it would, down here in the States, it would be called uh, Episcopal. Um, but I have found myself, so I can't really present myself as a true believer. Um, I've definitely found myself steering my way towards agnostic. Um, I definitely believe there's something out there, but uh, I do not believe it is uh, all written down in the Bible. That being said, I was brought up in the church, and I do really appreciate um, the fellowship that comes from church, the community that comes from church. I think that can be found in a lot of different places, um, but I think that in America, that kind of idea of community coming from faith is a big part of our culture, and we can't discredit it. What I don't like is that they are using people who are there in faith who are there to try and be better people, this concept of do unto others, the golden rule, the Ten Commandments, all these things, and also just giving back to your community. That's a big part of people in church, giving. Um, and they've turned that and they've weaponized it against the rest of the country. If you don't believe what we believe, you are bad and evil. If you don't believe what we believe, and that is any kind of extremist religion. It doesn't matter if you are uh, in the Middle East or you are in Israel or you are in um, China, any kind of a religion that tells you how to behave, who you can like, what you know, what you can do, um, that becomes something that you can weaponize. And we've seen that be weaponized with places like the Taliban. And now we're seeing the same kind of behavior from American Christians. And what upsets me is that this idea that you're doing it on behalf of God, if you think you're doing something on behalf of God, then everything is possible. You can do anything you want to do. Because you're doing it for God, which excuses all types of horrifying behavior, which excuses anything you might do. It allows you to kill people with impunity because you're doing it on behalf of, of a deity. And that to me is terrifying because people lose all sense when they're doing it not from their own sense of self, but from uh, as a, a vehicle of a higher being. That's distressing to me. The, there was a quote last week that if you're not a supporter of Donald Trump and this kind of evangelical movement, then you're going to hell. I mean, it was very, very explicit. And it it's, it's frightening for people who have a belief system and are afraid of God. Even in Congress, you know, like some of the language of Marjorie Taylor Greene recently has, has used this type of rhetoric. It's not like it's on the fringes anymore. I mean, this is very much at the center of the Republican Party. It's Christian nationalism. I mean, but every single rising authoritarian government has always had a religious element to it because people who are already willing to follow a leader they cannot see and follow yeah. rules that they did not write are the most easily susceptible to 
a person in real life coming in and doing the same thing. So this is always a part of the rise of authoritarianism around the world. Religion has always been used um, to pull people into that. That's why they don't so, want us to have critical thought. Because if you start thinking yeah. like, but why? That's the problem. You have to just yeah. believe and not have to know why. And and the books that are being banned that, you know, under the guise of, you know, this is unsuitable or it talks about LGBTQ plus issues or anything that is outside of the realm of the Bible, which you could argue shouldn't be on the shelf. It's also very violent and includes right? terrible right? sex and incest. And yeah, of course. But the a, a lot of the research about who has been making these complaints, uh, it was last year, just 11 people were responsible for more than 60% of book challenges in last year's school year. And there's a whole article in the Washington Post about this, you know, like a deep dive into the rise of book bans over the last couple of years. And, and so much of this, you know, it becomes a whole thing. But actually, it's just a handful of people that are making a whole lot of noise about it. Yeah. And and that is really the difference between the kind of Republican side versus the Democrat side, because, you know, I'd love activists in on the Democrat side to be able to have such a ricochet effect with their arguments as these extremist views, which seem to then just kind of every news agency is jumping on the book banning story and turning it into a thing when it's just 11 people. Yeah, that should be the story, right? That yeah. all of these things are from 11 people. But I think that's the perfect yeah. example of like minority rule, right? This concept that sometimes the least amount of people are the loudest. This idea that we are the silent majority. They were never the silent majority. They are the loud minority. And these 11 people are a perfect manifestation of that, right? There's just one woman in this school with a bee in her bonnet just going through because she's got nothing better to do, right? She's just going to go and be upset about a fault in our stars, which literally is a young love between a dying girl and a very sick boy, you know? Like, how is that a problem for this woman? Don't know. Then you've got LGBTQ issues. We've got black issues. We've got all these different things that people just cannot get their heads around because it doesn't fit into their small box. So they assume everyone else has to fit into their lifestyle, their choices, their box. And that's that's why we need to stay informed, right? Like we can't let 11 people make our decisions for us, right? At, we have to take the time to know what's going on around us and then make sure the people around us know what's going on. We have to be able to say, actually, there's only 11 people doing that, right? There's a fair amount of people who think that these things that are happening, these authoritarian weird things that are happening can't really be possible because it's just not the America they grew up in and they can't get their head around it. But we're at the tried to overthrow the democracy to stay in power phase. We're at the next election is going to be decided by bullets phase. Like it's really happening, right? And so we need to be very vocal about the fact that these stories that are getting power on these right-wing radio stations and right-wing television and Fox News is playing ad nauseum aren't actually what's really going on. We need to be talking to our friends at our dining room table. We need to be talking to the people we meet at the market or at the grocery store, at our hairdresser, and saying, actually, it's more like this, or you might want to look into that. With my dad, I always have these conversations because my dad is far more conservative than I am. And he'll often quote something, and I say, well, where did you hear that? And he's like, I don't know. I read it somewhere. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't think you can say that unless you can 
yeah. back it up with something. And usually he'll then go back and look because he's so sure about something. He feels so strongly about it. But then he'll go back and look and be like, huh, he doesn't know. Or it's from a specific newspaper that he like knows is right leaning. And then he's like, oh, you know, and we'll look it up <laughs> together. I think sometimes it's about having those conversations because yeah. what's going on in our country right now is bananas. But if we just check it out because it's just too much and it's too messy and like, no, American democracy will be fine. It's always been fine. That's not actually what's going to happen. We need to be talking about it because just so you're talking about this 2025 project, right? Even with justice coming for Trump and his allies, there are at least 25% of the country who believe that the Democrats are using some sort of authoritarian overreach to even bring him to justice, right? They are still going to run other people, be it Vivek Ramaswamy's or Ron DeSantis's, right? There's going to be the next round of these people. And so we need to point out to as many people as possible the Republican plan once they get back into power, what they actually want to do, whether it's Trump or someone else, right? You're talking about 2025 plan. That is a Christian nationalist plan. Mm. Trump tried to put in Schedule F before he left. Biden removed it. If they move back, they're putting it back in. And that's purging the entire federal government of anyone who isn't a loyalist. That's already a written law that he signed when he was president and it'll come right back, right? It's about consolidating the power of the federal government and its institutions like the Department of Justice and the FBI and the CIA around the president where they answer only to him. They're talking about getting rid of the EPA, getting the Department of Education, like I said, right? It's basically dismantling the American system as we know it and replacing it with some form of authoritarianism or mm. white Christian theocracy, right? Yeah. Which is in, why in we Trump's have to... image. Yeah, but it's a, or it's, whoever, it's a, whoever. It, it's it's a it's a it's the same as Russia. You know, it's the same as as North Korea. It's the same as any of these countries that that Trump had great respect for, and the rest of us recognize the the, the danger of. Um, listen, we have to take a quick pause for our sponsor, but I want to come back and talk about what we can do about it next on the weekend show. Cold turkey may be great on sandwiches, but there's a better way to break your bad habits. We're not talking about some weird mind voodoo from your wacky neighbour or some sketchy message board. We're talking about our sponsor, Fume, and they look at the problem in a different way. Not everything in a bad habit is wrong, so instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-nominated device that does just that. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. Instead of vapour, Fume uses flavoured air. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses all-natural, delicious flavours. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your fume comes with an adjustable airflow dial that is designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting, giving your fingers a lot to do, which is helpful for de-stressing and anxiety while breaking your habit. I gave a fume to my sister, and she was shocked at how flavourful and fresh it tasted. It's easy to hold and perfectly balanced and, quite honestly, extremely fun to fidget with. The real wood material and sleek design definitely classes it up, and she feels pretty cool holding it. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard, but switching to Fume is easy, enjoyable and even fun. Fume has served over 100,000 customers and has thousands of success stories, and there's no reason that can't be you. 
Join Fume in accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the Journey Pack today. Head to tryfume.com and use code WEEKEND to save 10% off when you get the Journey Pack today. That's tryfum.com and use code WEEKEND to save an additional 10% off your order today. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend you check out Miracle Made's bed sheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver-infused fabrics and makes temperature-regulating bedding, so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Using silver-infused fabrics originally inspired by NASA, Miracle Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long, so you get a better sleep every night. These sheets are infused with silver that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresh three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odours. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable, without the high price tag of other luxury brands, and feel as nice, if not nicer, than bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. Stop sleeping on bacteria. Bacteria can clog your pores, causing breakouts and acne. Sleep clean with Miracle. Go to trymiracle.com slash weekend to try Miracle-Made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo code WEEKEND at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash weekend and use the code weekend to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. That's trymiracle.com slash weekend to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. We're back with Lee McGowan here on The Weekend Show. Uh, there's a very good article, an opinion piece in The Guardian newspaper from Jonathan Friedland. And it said the tragedy of Joe Biden is that people see his age, his frailty, his ailing poll numbers, and they miss the bigger story, which is that he has been a truly consequential president, even a transformational one. And in less than three years, he's built a record that should unify U.S. progressives including those on the radical left and devised an economic model to inspire social democratic parties the world over. But sadly for Biden, politics and government are different things and it takes more than a record of good governance to get re-elected. I, I get very frustratedly with the fact that, you know, Biden can do no right. You know, it, it's, it's, it's such a judgmental society and, you know... He he can be frail and he can be a little, you know, all over the place sometimes. But he also, he presidents by consensus. He's not an authoritarian. He's not just the solitary man making decisions like Donald Trump would. He He has a team of young, energized, vibrant people. I don't think there's been a, a younger team working in in the White House. And it and it's multi-race and multi-faith and multinational. It's really an interesting lineup of people. 
And yet people will completely ignore that and just look at the fact that when he finished the speech, he turned left instead of right. <laughs> and everyone goes, he's senile. And it's like, did you even hear the speech? Does it frustrate you like it frustrates me? Oh, it makes me absolutely crazy. I mean, you're entirely right. Biden has been a completely transformational president. Um, but the thing, and, and, and you're right in saying he's surrounded by this incredible young staff. I remember uh, the first time I went to the White House, we went there to talk about some climate change initiative stuff. And everyone that came into the room was so passionate, so interested in how they'd written the legislation, how they had done this thing, how they had written it with the, you know, so you couldn't have a loophole that you took the money for your state and then all of a sudden you used it for something other than climate. You know, they, they had, they were passionate about policy and, and everyone in the room was passionate about what they were trying to do, what they wanted to do. Like they couldn't get this done yet, but they were going to move to this next level. It was a real, um, it was a space of real hope. And then Biden himself came in while one of the younger staffers was talking about this legislation. And he tried to sneak into the room like we wouldn't notice him. And it was a small room. We were in the Roosevelt room. There was maybe 40 of us in their total. And he was like, don't worry about me. Like, don't look the other way. She's talking. It was giving the power over to the person who was speaking. He was deferring to his staff. And she said, she goes, I think they've noticed you. He was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Carry on. First of all, he has so much energy. He has so much love. He has so much passion. But he also isn't, as you said, an I alone can fix it kind of guy. He is a defer to other people kind of guy. And he's such a truly generous soul. And I always say that maybe it's being a Canadian, but I feel like Americans get way too hung up on the idea of who the president is. There was an old comedian that used to say America actually needs a president and a prime minister. They need a president to be on the posters, which is what you want, you know, this hero person on the posters, the president of the United States. And he goes to like, you know, social events and shakes hands and looks, you know, <laughs> I don't know, white and strong. And then we need a prime minister who's actually going to do all the work. And I think that what we have in Biden is actually both. He is willing to invite people into the conversation. He had me there because he was like, this is how people are getting their news from social media. So tell me how we can best reach the people. Tell me how we can talk to young people. Tell me what people are interested in. Tell me what people care about. At one point, uh, Vice President Harris came in and she was like, I'm going to a college today. Like, what should I talk to the kids about? What are you guys passionate about? What? And I thought, first of all, this is hilarious because I was the oldest person in the room. Uh, I was like, I don't know what the kids are talking about. Like, let me call my son. But they cared. They cared to commit. They cared to engage. They cared to really meet people where they were. And they know they're working with an old archaic system that has its way of doing things. And I think that Biden is the perfect person for that because he's been in that system since yeah. he was 30 years old. And now he's 80 years old and he knows how it works. It's why he was able to bring people together in NATO. It's why he was able to bring all those people to the table. And if you see Biden at the table with all those other world leaders, it's another example of why he's so good at his job. He'll say, Poland, we couldn't have done this without you. Thank you so much to your people and for doing this. He's not about, and I am here and America showed up and like, thank me. He's not like that at all. And the thing is, is that young people shouldn't be engaged with that. He wants to hear different voices. He wants to do the diversity thing. His amount of justices he has put on the bench will change America's future 
moving forward. It's the most diverse group of people we've ever had on the federal bench. He did that. And I think we get too strung up on who the president is. The president, unless they turn into Donald Trump and consolidate all the power around themselves, doesn't really have that much power in the American system alone, right? They need to get Congress on their side. They need to get the Senate to agree with them. They need to get the people's um, to come along with them. And Joe Biden is someone who could do that. And like you said, I think transformational is the perfect word for him. So it makes me insane that we live in this moment of propaganda media that is spending all their time talking about things like M&Ms and books that are banned rather than all these amazing pieces of legislation that have happened. And I understand for the media, they have to do less work to follow Trump. He's giving them constant um, entertainment. Now we have to listen to, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy because Ron DeSantis like fell off a bench somewhere and he's terrible on TV. But there's always someone who is just spinning narratives that keep people fired up, keep people divided, keep people angry and keep people voting for Republicans. But at the end of the day, if the media just shifted its perspective and said, look what's being happening and look what's going on here and look what's going on here, the country is actually on a wonderful path that we would be absolute fools to take us off of. That's what's so frustrating, isn't it? That, you know, inflation's coming down and the jobs, you know, are rising and people are feeling a great sense of of positivity coming well, off the back may, of the pandemic. Well, if I may, if I may, actually, I yeah. think the problem is is that people aren't feeling a great sense of positivity because they don't care that you tell them inflation is down. They don't really yeah. care that you tell them that wages are up or the unemployment numbers are down. Most of us. That doesn't mean anything to us. How yeah, it's like the, the GDP measurement. It's, it's Who of cares, no use right? to like, anybody. How yeah. much does yeah. it cost me to buy my groceries? And that's how people are feeling. But And so they feel like, well, no, I just generally feel bad. I'm not making enough money. My dad's getting old. I don't know how I'm going to pay for him. My health costs are too expensive. Like I can't afford a home. That is where people actually are. And I think sometimes mm. it irritates them when you say, but the economy is doing so much better. They're like, your economy, maybe the country's yeah. economy, but not my economy, and so that yeah. makes them feel angry. And I think the Democrats but, but that's could where meet Trump them there. Has, that's right? where Trump has really kind of worked this this, <laughs> this kind of playbook, right? Because mm-hmm. by doing nothing and just telling them that he's doing something, they are more likely to go with that than with Biden, who maybe doesn't get the opportunity to tell people so much or to connect with people so much because the media is just focusing on his age and not on what's happening. And so, you know, Trump knows this. So he's manipulating people. And I always reference that check that got sent out early in his presidency. Do you remember where he made it look like it was his signature on the check and there was a delay because he wanted them printed like that, which was a bribe. It was a, a very early on bribe. It was actually a rebate. It wasn't a gift. It was a rebate on tax already paid. And People were like, look at this. Like, I've actually, you know, this is Trump's presidency. And he literally did four years off the back of that thousand dollar check. But is that not smart? I mean... It's it's marketing genius. It's very smart. But I did recently hear, and I hope that this is true because it got me very excited, that, you know, after all of these... Because Biden got the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act passed after hearing about Infrastructure Week for 
you know, four freaking years with yeah. Trump. He comes in, he gets it passed. There are actual roads and bridges being fixed all over America. We're getting broadband. We're fixing lead pipes so people aren't dying of lead poisoning. You know, this kind of actual things that are helping the people. And all these Republicans that voted against the Infrastructure Act are out there at the ribbon cuttings, you know, for a new bridge. They're there just getting their picture taken like they voted for it, like they didn't vote against this thing. And I read recently that Biden is now they're putting Biden's name on all of these bridges and roads and fixes. And I think that is taking a page from Trump's playbook. I think that's brilliant. If it is the Biden bridge from Ohio to Kentucky, then you go, oh, Biden got that done because, by the way, he did. So if you can't hear it from your radio and you can't see it and you don't know it, then maybe we have to put a sign up that reminds you of it. And I actually think we should do more of that. Let's talk about the things that people vote against that actually benefit them. Now, you use the bridge, the infrastructure deal as as an example, but this is happening in kind of day-to-day left and right politics where, you know, let's use abortion as as an example. You know, Democrats are not saying... Everybody has to have an abortion, right? <laughs> that is the equivalent of what Republicans are saying, which is no one can have an abortion. The The opposite of that would be Democrats going, everyone has to have an abortion. But they're not. They're saying every woman has the right to choose, giving choice, giving freedom, freedom, a, a very much a Republican, traditional conservative word, freedom patriotism, all intertwined. And so this is what I find fascinating as a kind of European looking on, is that it's like Turkey's voting for Thanksgiving, because Republicans need to access abortion as well. You know, there's plenty of Republicans. I'm sure Donald Trump might have even been involved in a few over the years. I'm not speculating, but I'm just saying that the point is, this is health care. And it's something that everybody needs. It's a bit like reducing the insulin, the cost of $35 for seniors. Republicans voted against that. But there are Republicans who have diabetes. And, and this is the thing that I don't understand, is that how even stuff that will benefit you as a person who is on the right, you still will vote against because the other team thought of it. And that is the bit that I cannot... L- I cannot level in my mind. How do you handle that kind of insanity? Well, I think the thing is, is that if you are a voter whose entire goal is to own the libs, then it doesn't really matter what the policies are. The Republicans haven't had a party platform since 2016. They don't, they don't stand for anything. They don't, um, have anything that will help the American people. But that doesn't matter to their hardcore base anymore because their hardcore base just wants to destroy the lips. They just want the Democrats to die. It's those shirts that said, I would rather be a Russian than a Democrat from the Republican Party, you know, the party of patriotism. Um, So I don't think that those are people that we can necessarily uh, reach right now. I always say that we're going to end up telling it's, we can't tell people that we're going to help them. We have to show them we're going to help them, which is why I think things like the signs on the bridges are useful. Um, you have to show people rather than tell people. So I think that right now we need to put that camp of people who really will vote against their own best interest time and time again over to the side and focus on the people that don't vote and the people that 
haven't been voting because one third of the country doesn't even vote. So I think that the people who have decided that it doesn't matter what the Republicans do, they're still going to, if Donald Trump is in jail, I'm going to vote for him. You're like, really? You know, like, it just seems like that makes no sense. And yet that's, it's not supposed to. So I think if we the try to make sense. The logic has gone though. The, yeah, the no. critical thinking, it doesn't exist anymore. It's pure tribalism. But there might be some young people who have student debt, for example, who with this plan to, to uh, you know, wipe out student debt will be like, oh, actually, maybe I do. I mean, I'm kind of hoping that people will secretly go to the ballot box and vote for Biden even though on the outside and publicly they're like, Biden's old and Trump's strong, even though there's three years between them. You know, I'm I'm kind of hoping that people kind of come to their senses at at the 11th hour. But, uh, you know, I don't know enough about the kind of traditions here. I know that people will tend to vote based on the economy and how the economy feels like it's doing. And if with that in mind and Biden looking older and frailer, I don't think that's a very good recipe. And that's why I'm saying that nobody should rest on their laurels and be like, ah, Biden's got this in the bag, Trump's a criminal. Because I still believe that, you know, I've said time and time again, Trump will slip through the fingers of justice, delaying the trial, pushing it back, appealing, not showing up. There's so many things he can do and has already started to do. I mean, he's trying to push the Fulton County, you know, move it to federal court. And, you know, he could be successful. A, a whole bunch of them are trying that. You know, it's like he he will, he has no moral compass. He doesn't care what the optics are like. He's just going to blow it all up. Yeah, yeah, he will just blow it all up. I mean, I, I do think justice is coming for him. I think you can only avoid things for so long. <laughs> he's not Neo, like he's not able to avoid every bullet that's coming at him. I do think justice is coming for him. I think it's going to come from Fonnie Willis uh, for sure. Um, I think that that's the most interesting thing that that just came out, you know, last week, right, about um, the other people that were on that uh, grand jury indictment that could have been indicted by Fonnie Willis, and she decided to pass on indicting them. A lot of people are like, why not indict Lindsey Graham? Why not indict, you know, these people? But I, I think the thing is, is that she has indicted the people she knows that she has an airtight case for. She's like, I'm indicting these 19 people because it is open and shut. They are going to jail, right? And It's a shame Lindsey Graham wasn't on the list. 20 is a much nicer number than 19. I would like Mike Flynn to be on that list. I think he is a real (laughs) danger to our entire country. But the point is she chose 19 of the 39. And I think those 19 are not avoiding justice. I really do believe that. But I do believe there's a fair amount of people who will make Donald Trump their... Um, nominee anyway, who will vote for him if he's going to be in jail, which he probably will never be, and he'll probably be on house arrest in Mar-a-Lago, and we'll have to just get our heads around that. But I think that the point is not if they vote for Donald Trump or not. The point is, how do we get to the other side of this crazy authoritarian rise from one of our two major parties? And the blindness that people have to authoritarianism, because it's You know, America has always been branded as free and branded as the greatest country in the world, right? And you said at the beginning of this conversation, you know, its democracy has been downgraded. Well, that doesn't really mean much to people. But from the rest of the world, the U.S. has had a a seismic fall from grace. 
<laughs> when you look at you know the space race and you look at the kind of the 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 history over the last 50 years especially with the reversal of roe i mean that is a very big part of this and then you know if we were to look at where the greatest country in the world falls down compared to other countries canada is a very good example you know i know people that just can't get their medication because there's a shortage of meds so they can't work they can't do anything in in supposedly the greatest country in the world you can't get your meds and when you can get meds they're so expensive because of the racketeering and the profiteering you know there's school shootings and mass shootings and no appetite for doing anything about it from so many people uh, lawmakers they must have a screw loose <laughs> kids getting shot in school yeah that's fine we'll overlook that one like like it, it's it, it makes no sense so and then obviously education is struggling healthcare there is no healthcare there is there is there is profiteering but in terms of a system i mean you have to go looking for a doctor on yelp and hope they've got enough reviews that they won't kill you in the greatest country in the world aren't you so glad we moved here i love it would never do, would <laughs> me never, too would I, and that's what's so weird about it lee is the fact that that despite all of its shortcomings, climate denial, you know, when you've got other countries are so far down the road with building their infrastructure, you know, America can't handle climate change. The The telegraph poles are not built for it, which means there's always going to be a forest fire. There's always going to be a blackout. Like the, the, because of profiteering and racketeering, these energy companies, PG&E, they're just not prepared to invest because they want to pay their... You know, they want to pay dividends and pay their shareholders so they don't invest in infrastructure. So, so we have a whole country that is not built for climate change. No one is really doing anything about that. Biden's infrastructure deal is not even going to scratch the surface. So there is, there is so much here that we could talk about that, that, that devalues America's standing as the greatest country in the world, that, that the Democrats are trying to do something about. They that's, recognize that's the shortcomings. The thing. That's the thing. Right? The and Democrats still, are trying to do something about it. And that's because what I need they people recognize to remember. the shortcomings. Yeah, they need to remember that. You said it's never, you use words like it's never going to be fixed. It's never going to change. We are not set up. It is, you know, but it can be fixed. It can be changed. But it's a matter of will. It's a will of the voters to give the courage to our politicians, to choose the right politicians, to give the right people power, knowing that the system is set up to favor the minority, knowing the system is set up to favor the the people who wrote the you know constitution in the first place, which were white, rich, male landowners, right? Like we have already set it up to favor these small states like North Dakota and Wyoming with their two senators and California with their two senators. That is a broken system. That is not a democratic system. That makes no sense. And yet, and yet, it can be fixed. We can make changes. We can eliminate the filibuster. We can get voting, federal voting rights into effect. If we get the right amount of leaders that we believe in, that we're willing to fight for and pass these laws that get rid of money in politics, that reverse Citizens United, that give us the right to bodily autonomy, that, 
um, protect our voting rights and get rid of gerrymandering, then we would see real change. Then we could say, yo, we need to fix all of these polls so we don't have forest fires in California all the time. We need to fix this water system. We need to do this thing. It's about will of the people. It's about action. And honestly, it's about democracy. The reason people love autocracy, which is what we're talking about, is because somebody comes in and says, don't worry about it. I know it's broken. I'll fix it. Just give me all the power and I will fix it for you. But the thing is, is that when you give someone all the power, they don't fix it for you. They fix it for themselves. That is how all autocratic dictators have gone throughout all of history. You think they're going to fix it for you, but ultimately by giving up your power, you're not serving yourself. You are serving a master, one master that's going to do whatever they want. That's why Russia is the way Russia is, it's the way Hungary wants to be, it's the way Belarus wants to be, it's the way China's functioning. This is easier for people to get their heads around. Oh, this one person will fix it. You can fix it. Just just take take the power and make it all better. They're not going to make it all better. It takes work. It takes all of us doing the work. But I do think it's possible and I do think things can change. Because once you give up power, you can't get it back. We see that in Afghanistan right now. You see these women, you know, crying out for their own voice. You, mm. you can't allow your power to be taken because once it's taken, you don't get it back. So unless we want to live under some weird Christian theocracy where everyone has to pray to a God and there's no gay people or trans people and women are slaves back in the kitchen being baby makers for weird men that they had to marry because they couldn't get credit cards anymore, then, you know, we got to work. We got to talk. We got to vote. We have to get other people to vote. And honestly, the people who believe this the most are the youth, the young people coming up, which is why the Republicans don't want them voting because they get it. They are yeah. not stuck in some status quo position. They're like, excuse me, don't tell me what I can do with my own body. Don't tell me who I can marry and who I can love and what I can listen to and what I can learn and what I can read. No. And if we get 40% of them voting, well, we're unstoppable. But they also know how to use the internet. And I think that this is a big difference because you said something earlier about, you know, it's the only information that their ecosystem serves them. So that's all they know. And this is a bigger, this is the biggest problem, isn't it? That, that there will be people, and I see it when people write in the comments about videos that I put out. They're like, you don't know, Donald Trump won, you've got wrong information, it's, it's obvious, it's everywhere. You know, you need to wake up and smell the coffee, somebody wrote recently, which I thought was too cliche of a line, but it still got used. And, you know, I don't blame these people because they just don't know how to use the internet. They are literally living in an ecosystem that will feed them what they're looking for and nothing else. Yeah. And they're not able to step outside it. They've never heard of YouTube, but they know what rumble is, you know. And so it's, it's very frustrating. And older people invariably don't know how to trick the algorithm. And they don't know how to step outside of that. But younger people do. And, you know, the internet really is key to everything these days. It's how you and I met. It's how you and I do our work. And it's, it's really, you know, it, it is the future of electioneering. It used to be knocking on doors, but now it's not. Standing mm -hmm. in front of your refrigerator, putting the facts out there. Well, which so, is why you have right-wing billionaires like uh, Elon Musk taking over Twitter. It's why they tried to get rid of TikTok. They don't want us talking to each other. They don't want us giving yeah. us the truth. They don't want regular people with regular voices saying, you know what? I don't like this. I've had enough. They don't want us on our virtual soapboxes on town square, you know, changing people's minds. They can't control the narrative as much anymore. And that's hard for 
all levels of government if they've been doing it one way for a really long time. But it's actually a real moment in our country's history where we could really change the tide if we work together. And then we could ask for, you know, truth in broadcasting laws. So you couldn't just put Fox News on in front of your grandmother and lose her down a rabbit hole of untruths. You know, it would be nice to have some sort of law that said you can't just lie on TV and get away with it. I would like to see that. I'm sure a lot of people would like to see that. I'd love to be able to, as my friend Billy says, stop and help someone with their, you know, car that's broken down without checking their bumper sticker first to see, you know, (laughs) if we're simpatico. I think a lot of people want that. We um, have more to talk about, but we have to take another quick pause and then we'll come back with more from Politics Girl here on The Weekend Show. Fall is planting season. It's true, many plants actually do better when planted at this time of year, but you have to know where to start. That's why I love fastgrowingtrees.com. The experts at Fast Growing Trees curate thousands of plants so you can find the perfect fit for your specific climate, location and needs. I ordered the most beautiful lemon tree, which is absolutely thriving on my balcony. You don't have to drive around to nurseries and big gardening centers. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped to your door in one to two days. Whether you're looking to add some privacy, shade or natural beauty to your yard, Fast Growing Trees has in-house experts ready to help you make the right selection with growing and care advice available 24-7. And like I said, my lemon tree at the moment is growing in such a way that I, I never thought I would have the ability to nurture a plant myself. So with the help and advice of fastgrowingtrees.com, I am very proud of my new baby. And I now only do my plant shopping at Fast Growing Trees. You should too. Even if you've never had a green thumb, they'll make you feel like you do. Over 1 million happy Fast Growing Trees customers are across the country, and plus, with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, you can trust everything will be healthy for years to come. Now, listeners to this show will get 15% off your entire order when you go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash weekend, but only through October 15th. That's 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash weekend. That's fastgrowingtrees.com slash weekend. If you have a family like I do, you know how much your loved ones depend on you. In a worst-case scenario, you wouldn't want them to worry about money. Policy Genius knows how valuable your time is. That's why their technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $25 a month for $1 million worth of coverage. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius has licensed award-winning agents who can help you find the best fit for your needs. They work for you, not the insurance companies. That means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Policy Genius is for parents, caregivers, and anyone else who has people who depend on them. They simplify the process of getting life insurance so you can protect the people you love. No wonder they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net. You deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. 
This episode of The Weekend Show is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Now, when I say the word honey, you might be thinking about the stuff that comes in those plastic bear-shaped bottles at the supermarket. Well, this is nothing like that. Manukora makes Manuka honey, a super honey that comes from New Zealand, where the bees only feed on the nectar of the Manuka tea tree, making something that is rich, herbaceous and complex with a creamier texture that's unlike anything you've ever tried before. You can use it just like the honey that you're used to, but Manuka honey is super because it also contains unique antioxidants and prebiotics, as well as a natural antibacterial compound called MGO that only comes from the nectar of this tea tree. These nutrients support optimal immune and digestive health, so it's win-win. You can continue to use honey in all of the ways you love, and you can enjoy all of the health benefits of MGO as well. Manukora sent me a jar and squeeze bottle of their 850 Plus MGO Manuka Honey, their best-selling product. The 850 Plus Honey has this creamy caramel texture that melts in your mouth, and it's unlike anything I've ever tried. I can grab a spoonful out of a jar and put it in my favorite beverage or squeeze some honey out on some toast or oatmeal. It's delicious. Each morning, I start my day with a spoonful of the Manuka honey, and it's the perfect amount of sweetness with the perfect consistency. If you head to manukora.com slash weekend or use code weekend, you'll automatically get an extra free pack of the 850 plus honey sticks with your order, a $15 value. Now, I love the jar and squeeze bottle, but the extra pack of compostable honey sticks is also perfect for where, whenever you're on the go. You can bring them with you when you're traveling, if you need a quick snack or running errands, and they're the perfect energy boost if you're out for a run or at the gym. So go to manukora, M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash weekend or use code weekend to get a free pack of compostable honey sticks with your order. You haven't tasted or seen honey like this before, so indulge and try some honey with superpowers from Manukora. We're back with Lee McGowan on The Weekend Show. Elon Musk said he refused a Ukrainian request to activate his Starlink satellite network in Crimea's port city of Sevastopol uh, last year to aid an attack on Russia's fleet there, saying he feared complicity in a major act of war. This is now a situation, Lee, where billionaires, he didn't just, you know, buy Twitter and buy Tesla. Let's not forget he bought Tesla, didn't create it. Oh, yes, but he, he did have a lawsuit to get himself on the creator list. And he, right. There is, there know, is also Now that. he looks like a creator. But now he is owning the satellites that are in space. So he's, he's even getting government contracts. It's very dangerous, isn't it, when you give a, a billionaire, one of the richest or the richest man in the world, control of the satellite network, the internet, where he now has a chance to control the narrative in a war between Russia and Ukraine. I mean, this is, this is the stuff of science fiction, you know? And he posted on Thursday, he had no choice to, but to reject an emergency request from Ukraine to activate Starlink, uh, Starlink all the way to that area. And he didn't give the date of the request. But people now are beginning to realize that his politics is influencing the war in Ukraine. Yeah. And what are his politics, right? 
Well, his he's politics. a Russian operative. Yeah, he's a Russian discovered. operative. Like, I mean, honestly, yeah. at the end of the day, you know, Ronan Farrow just did that amazing deep dive article into him. And the basic gist is we have given this one person too much power, too much control, too many government contracts that we're now completely dependent on him. And yeah. I would say we've given quite a few billionaires too much power, too much control. So we become dependent on them. This whole concept when we were had the crash in 2008 and the banks were too big to fail. That is what we've allowed to happen through policy, because these people didn't get this rich because they're such brilliant geniuses that are so much smarter than we are. They got this rich because we have policies that allow them to skirt taxes, to have tax loopholes, to double and triple their wealth while the rest of us were, you know, losing our homes during the pandemic. These people were going from $20 billion to $200 billion. You know, this is money that begets money that begets money. And in a society where money equals power, um, and money equals voice, as Citizens United has told us, we've given a absolute teeny tiny handful of, let's be honest, problematic people the keys to the kingdom. And yeah. we really need to unravel that. And that's not going to happen through income tax. It's going to happen through Robert Wright, policy. the uh, former, was he former director of labor? Yeah, he, um, under Obama. He, yeah, he's... He was quoted as saying that record profits equals unpaid wages. And I think about that a lot, you know, and I think I've said it before on this show, that it makes no... I went through all the, um, all the healthcare companies the other day, you know, from Kaiser and United Health and all of these providers. They have made more money in the last three years than they've ever made. And we're talking billions and billions and billions of dollars Every quarter, you know, they announce their quarterly profits and the trajectory is just up and up and up. And yet, you know, I said this earlier about healthcare in the US, which is kind of an anomaly or an oxymoron. Like it just, there isn't healthcare, you know, it just, there's no system. And people have got used to it. And yet, this huge amounts of profiteering is such that we are. Socialism is such a bad word in America, isn't it? It really is looked down upon and frowned upon and they connect it with communism and they connect it with with Marxism, which and it has nothing to do with any of those things. Well, mo it's most just, people couldn't tell you what communism or Marxism is anyway. Right. I mean, but the, the 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 inherent fairness of a of of a healthcare system that everybody can access where you are not just you know, stolen from, you know, co-pays and, and I mean, it makes no sense. No, you know, well, you're coming from a, you're coming from a country that has healthcare. I came from a country yeah. that has healthcare. But it's I not was, a great system. I mean, where no, I'm and from, that's you know, what I say all the time. It's not a great yeah. system. Like it's not that the Canadian yeah. healthcare system is so terrific or the UK healthcare system is so terrific. Yeah. The, the idea that's terrific is that it just doesn't no make a profit. Citizen, that's all. Yeah. But no citizen in that country should have to die because they had the bad luck of getting cancer because they can't afford yeah. it. Nobody should get hit yeah. by a car and then call an Uber because calling an ambulance right. is too expensive. That is an insane yeah. way to live. And yet I will yeah. say I'm someone with a terrible disease who got sick in America and it has absolutely kept me alive, right? I have had to live in the hospital for months on end and it is a much better living accommodations than say my mother did when she died in the hospital in Canada where they're over yeah. overrun. So there is a way to 
amalgamate systems to make an even better system, which I think America should absolutely do because we're a land of innovation. We should get Denmark and Finland and Canada and the UK together and say, what's working in your healthcare system? What's not working? How can we change that? What can we add for this? And I always say that we, we market this wrong. We message this wrong. Like healthcare, universal healthcare, some form of standardized government paid for healthcare it benefits everyone in America, not just because we have a healthier population or we don't have to worry about going bankrupt if we get sick, but because then small businesses can open and not have to worry about providing health care for their employees because it comes through the government. I can leave my marriage if if I'm having a bad marriage. Some people can't because their health care comes through their spouse. If you're a sick person or you have a sick child and you're in a marriage in America, you're stuck there if your health care comes through their job. You're stuck in the marriage. You're stuck in a job because of healthcare. That that completely defeats the defeats the idea of freedom that we all are so passionate yeah. about. And then when people talk about the greatest country in the world, the greatest country in the world, the greatest country in the world, that's usually coming from people who have never left their state, right? So right. what are you talking about? It's the greatest country in the world. There's an entire TikTok trend of people who left America and are living in another country, and they're like boy, this is what it's like in Sweden or Germany or Spain or whatever, telling us that they, things that they thought were normal in America that suddenly seem outrageous in the new country they live in. Like someone came to work with a cold and their coworkers were like, why are you here? Like, go home. They're like, oh no, I can work through it. They were like, no, we don't want you here. You're going to make all of us sick. Like you, this is what our days off for, for being sick are for. And she, they were like, you know, because in America, you work through it. You come in pulling your leg that's broken because you can't miss that's a day right. of work, right? Like, that's not how we should live. And that's not what we should accept as normal or accept as, you know, just pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps as we walk to the hospital after being hit by a car. That makes no but being sense. being made to feel that you are not living up to the, you know, to the great American standard if you are unwell. And, and, you know, really kind of criticizing and denigrating people that, that can't, you know, are doing their best. And, and really the point of this conversation is that all of this is possible, right? Yes. If it weren't for the racketeering and the profiteering of the healthcare companies that are owned by wealthy organizations or wealthy individuals, it's the same reason why Elon Musk should not be owning satellites. There are certain things that should not be in private ownership. Right. And I would include the internet and satellites and healthcare and, and education. education. It should not be in private ownership because, unfortunately, people get greedy and they fail to understand that you can make a healthy profit and still provide a, a, an amazing system. But just looking at you know, you, um, these healthcare companies and seeing their quarterly results, I cried, mm -hmm. Lee, like I cried. It was billions and billions, and yet my friend can't get meds, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I got an ear infection a few months ago, and I, went, I, got, I, I had to pay a copay to go and see an urgent care, and, you know, I went to get a little bottle of eardrops from CVS. That was the prescription. And... I was like, well, that's okay. You know, my, my insurance will cover it or whatever. And she goes, yeah, that's going to be $90. And I was like, what? It's like, it was like a, like a steroid. And she was like, yeah, the price went up. And I was like, I've had this like a couple of years ago, and I'm sure it was $14. She's like, yeah, it was, but the, they put the price up. It was $90. Like, 
It was one of the tiniest little bottle you ever saw. I had to put like six drops in my ear. Each drop was like ten bucks, <laughs> and I and there was and that was with insurance. That was with insurance. Yeah. And I had to pay it because I had an ear infection. I couldn't work, it, and it it was like I was thinking about the people that couldn't afford ninety dollars in that moment, and would have to live with an ear infection that would eventually get so bad that they would end up with a infection of the neck. It's or like, lose their hearing. Like the thing is, I mean, or lose think, their hearing. Think about think about how much it costs to have a baby in America. It costs yeah. so much money to have a baby in America with insurance. What you're paying, you're like, holy hell, right? And then the same party that refuses to let us negotiate drug prices, refuses to let us have Medicare for all, refuses to discuss, you know, who've tried to repeal the Affordable Care Act 70 times are also telling us that we have to have forced pregnancies, that we also have to carry a baby to term. So this idea that those kind of decisions like uh, reproductive health care is not an economic decision is absolutely farcical. Because what you're saying is, yeah, you're going to have to have that baby and you're going to pay that bill. And what happens if your baby's special needs or it comes too early or it comes? And then how much does that cost in America? Like it is absolutely But it's all profit. I mean, this is the thing, you know, it, it, it shouldn't cost anything to have a baby. Having a baby is a natural thing. People have babies in the street, right? And yet it has been turned into a a profit-making exercise because people know that as mothers, we put trust in doctors and physicians. I mean, where I'm from in the UK, doctors don't deliver babies. Doctors are not allowed anywhere near pregnant mums. It's midwives who are paid about £14,000 a year. Very low wage, amazing care. You get, you know, I mean, we're still friends with our, with our midnight, midwife who delivered our daughter, randomly given to us by the National Health Service. The, the, the point is that it doesn't have to cost that much. You know, in the UK, pregnant mums don't get scans every, every three or four weeks. It doesn't happen. Here it happens because it's profitable and it can be charged back to the insurance company. And people know that mums are vulnerable during this period. And they're taking advantage of them. So all they want is their signature, which means the big check can get paid and someone gets rich. And and it just goes back to kind of Elon Musk buying buying out Twitter for forty four billion dollars to take ownership of the of the of the national conversation. Apparently it's now worth four billion dollars. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, your point of some things just should not be for profit is is the thing to remember. And I think that when people think about America, unfortunately, our biggest problem is that we've created a culture, we've created a country built on profit. You know, people often say that our um, original sin in America is slavery. But I heard someone the other day say our original sin is actually greed. And slavery is a product of that, that America was built on greed. How can we make the most for the least? And we started our country like that. We built our country on that. We have pushed back on that through everything from the end of slavery to civil rights to uh, workers' rights, this kind of thing, raising the minimum wage, creating a minimum wage. But at the end of the day, greed is what started our country and what festers underneath now. And that's everything from trying to privatize education to, to our private health care system. It is greed. 
And I think we as a people have to decide that that's not the story we want to continue to write because it only serves a very, very small amount of people. And we can see now after trickle down economics the past 50 years, oh, this doesn't work. Just paying the top people at the top and hoping it all makes it down to us, it doesn't work. So what are we going to do now? What is the next thing we're going to do? Because this is clearly not sustainable. And, and that's why the word social, socialism is really the wrong word to describe all of this stuff because it's been weaponized. And, and to know that things that we have got used to here, you know, the cost of, of insuring a car, I mean, it blows my mind, you know. In, in England, I paid £250 for the whole year. <laughs> here it's $250 a month, right? Yeah. And, and, and it just, it's like people here are so used to it and they're just like, oh, well, that's what it is. Now, I appreciate that the economy here is bigger and wages here are higher than they are in, in Europe and all of that stuff. I get it. But people have got used to a system that really is all about profit. And I think, you know, just to kind of wrap this conversation up, in terms of what people can do, to not be so scared because, you know, fear is the word that or is the thing that that keeps people in their place. People are frightened to speak up. People are frightened to question people. You know, if they're told the price, they go, OK, well, you know, I, I sh if I can't afford it, then I'm not a great American, you know, and I'm like, maybe that shouldn't cost that much. There, there really has to be some pushback on everything and recognize that you know, politics is not really going to do it all for you. We have to do it for ourselves in many ways. And I'm really kind of keen to help people recognize that, that change is something you can bring about yourself. You don't have to settle for the status quo. You don't have to be told that socialism is bad and therefore, you know, you can't think outside of the box. So how do we encourage people to kind of, you know, break the mold, this kind of, capitalist hell that is keeping people poor and frightened to kind of rise up in a non-violent and activated way? Well, I think that the rising up is, again, choosing the right leaders. At the end of the day, there are going to be leaders who make our decision. And it goes back to actions, not words, right? Look what one party's actions are and look what the other party's actions are. You live in a two-party system. Don't get yourself you know, confused and think your third party vote is going to go anywhere. It won't. It's a spoiler vote for whichever party you're closer to. Um, so you've got one of two choices. And one choice is taking you down a deeply authoritarian road with white Christian nationalism, uh, where they want to take away women's rights and gay rights and ban books. And the other party is trying really hard to give us, um, you know, uh, free two-year college and universal pre-K and all the things that were in Build Back Better. There was a period of time in Biden's first term where childhood poverty was cut by 40% by the childhood tax credit. Those are the kind of policies that we want to keep supporting. Those are the kind of politicians we want to keep supporting. And those are the kind of people that we could push to start making our voices heard more. And so I think we all have to say at this time, like, no one's coming to save us, right? We're the James Bonds of this story, the Ethan Hunts, the Jason Bournes, right? We're no one's going to come and save us. We have to save us. And that is choosing the right leaders, choosing the right message, saying like, I'm not actually happy with the status quo. I feel like you said, I feel afraid. I feel scared. I'm not, I am not 
pleased with how much it costs. I am afraid I can't have a house. I'm afraid I can't pay for my dad when he gets older. I'm afraid how am I supposed to pay for these kids? Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You say, okay, who does? Okay. This party does. And that is who I'm going to support. It doesn't matter if I'm not getting everything I want exactly right. I was just talking to Maxwell Frost on my podcast and he was like, there is not a divide between incremental change and progressive change. Those two things can work together. Nothing happens overnight. And if you think it is, it's because someone is lying to you. If they say, I can fix it tomorrow, that's not possible. So what you have to say is, who is taking me down the road of the path that I want to go? These people. And can I push them to do more? You know, like five years ago, we wouldn't have been discussing the Democrats even thinking about banning stock trades for politicians. That was part of their deal. You know, you got perks if you were in politics. And now there's people saying, yo, I don't think you guys should be able to sit in on meetings and then make stock trades after it. Yes, Republicans do it a lot more than Democrats do, but a lot of Democrats have got rich on that. Five years ago, it wouldn't have been considered. Now it's an actual policy on the floor that Democrats have put forward, that if you're a sitting congressperson, you can't be trading stocks. That's new. And that was pressure from people saying, yo, I don't think so. Biden was the one that said the the cost of living isn't going up because of the government. The cost of living is going up because of corporate greed. Robert Reich, he's saying the same thing. Like, look around. You know, your popcorn bag is half full. The prices are ludicrous. They're out of control. The corporate profits are out of control. Only one party's going to help with that. The other party keeps cutting their taxes. The other party's helping them. So you have to make smart decisions. You have to say, you know what? I'm paying attention. I know what's going on. And if my friends don't know what's going on and my family doesn't know what's going on, I'm going to help them. Because once the wool's off your eyes, you can't put it back on. You see. You see what's going on. Our in-laws for years were hard, hardcore Republicans. And we have talked to them about everything for years. And now that they're seeing what's going on, they can't believe it. They're like, oh, I didn't didn't know this. I didn't know this. They were voting for the military. They didn't even think about it. And now once they see... They can't not see. There's only two choices. I have the same with my, with my mom. My mom yeah. has always been a conservative, and, and mm-hmm. she's, you know, she started watching my shows, right? And so she is learning. Yes, what's, imp- learning. what's important is to learn and be open and to listen, and that's her greatest skill is the fact that she is open to yes. this. And, you know, I, I, I really think that that kind of very binary aspect to all of it, you know, it's, it's understanding that because, you know, I'm not a Democrat. I don't get to vote here anyway, but I, I'm not a Democrat because the Democratic Party is way too center for me. Right. Yes, it's but like, you don't have to be a Democrat. I vote Democrat yeah. and I can vote here because I am a citizen. I yeah. vote Democrat because they are the closest aligned to where I would like the country to go. People often right. say uh, elections are not a direct flight somewhere, right? They're a bus. You get on the bus that's going closest to where you want to go, right? So the Democrats are going closest to where I want to go. But that doesn't mean that I can't pressure them to do more what I want them to do. There is an entire working parliamentary system in the Democratic Party. Bernie Sanders is not in the same party as Joe Manchin. And yet in America, they are. You know, it's the people that believe in democracy are the Democrats right now. And then whatever the Republicans are, which we have decided is basically proto-authoritarian. So right now, that's the bus you get on. And then once you're on the bus, you start saying, I don't think we should have stock trades. I think we should have universal health care. I would like to see a reversal of Citizens United. I would like to see the filibuster be suspended for voting rights and for women's rights. 
These are all possibilities if enough people ask for it. And that's how a democracy is supposed to work. I, I would just finish with this phrase, love, being able to love who you choose to love, mm-hmm. which is something that obviously the Democrats advocate for. And the Republicans have the opposite view. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't marry that person. And, you know, removal of gay marriage is absolutely on the menu for the Republicans. But, you know, we don't talk about love very much in politics. But I really do feel that just the very slogan of love who you want to love sums up the whole kind of the whole manifesto of the left and it really is an example to everybody. If you can't grasp that concept of a government telling you who you can and can't love, then you've really missed the point of humanity in this country. Yeah. And honestly, that's why you and I are here. I love this country. I believe in it. I believe it could be exactly what it tells people it is. But that starts with the passion of its people. And we have to ask for more. Okay. We have to finish. Lee McGowan, thank you very much. I'm Anthony Davis. Thanks for joining the weekend show. You can support me and independent journalism at patreon.com slash five minute news. Download the daily five minute news podcast and join me next week with a brand new special guest and more factual news stories to discuss on the five minute news weekend show with Midas Touch. We often hear about the individuals who took the oath of office to become the chief executive. But what about the other people who play a role in each administration or the events that may not be as well known, but that contribute to the reshaping of the office of the American presidency? On the presidencies of the United States, we explore each administration beyond just the person holding the highest elected office in order to better understand the history that brought us to the modern day presidency. I hope you'll join me on this journey through the annals of presidential history. Presidencies can be found anywhere fine podcasts can be found and is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.